Thank you for listening to this episode of the Paperback Philosophy Podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that I'm in the process of lining up more local artists and thought leaders in my community to discuss the state of the world and what we can do to prepare ourselves for the future. I have made the active decision not to pick up sponsors at this time, but as you can imagine, money will be necessary to get better equipment and grow my reach, which brings me to you. For those out there who are capable and would like to donate to help me grow, I will have a page set up soon where you can do so. In the meantime, if you would like to help me in other ways, you can like and share this episode. Thank you again for listening. Alright everyone, and welcome to the second episode of the Paper Bag Philosophy Podcast, the show with the sexiest audience. My guest today is James Payton. He is a local film director, and he's here to talk to us about some of his films that he's worked on in his current projects and just uh, some general things about filmmaking. So James, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on here. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. I've known you for a little while. I get along with you. So, you know, uh, it's, you seem like the perfect person to interview specifically because right now you are working on a project. That's correct, right? Yes, sir. We are in the middle of filming a new 30-minute horror-slash-thriller um, entitled Hindsight. Um, I used to have this idea whenever I was back in college. I had a friend of mine who we were talking about coming up with different ideas, and when we were discussing it, we had this really cool idea of what would happen if you know you were blind, and that idea went from well, what would happen if you had you threw like a serial killer or an escaped mental patient in the mix, and everyone that tried to help you ended up getting murdered until it was down to you and this killer. So that's where that premise of our current film was created. Okay. And uh, this is something that you wrote, is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I was off from work during the coronavirus and the COVID stuff um, due to I got bit by a brown recluse. And so I uh, was taking the time and I already had the idea for the movie. So when I started putting the characters together and putting the script together, it really only took me a couple of days to actually physically write the script. Um, that's some of the best advice that I can give anybody that's listening, that if you've ever been interested in screenwriting or movie writing, you always try to come up with your ideas first, and then the when, what, where, and how, and then you attempt to jump in and write the script. Okay. So kind of go, go through that a little bit more, your writing process. When you say the the who, what, when, and ha how. So what you're, you, you're talking about like essentially building the entire framework of the, the script before you get in there and then start writing the script. Is that correct? Yes, that's, that's right. Um, a lot of times, anytime that I've written scripts or um, get ideas for scripts, what I like to do is I like to go out and observe people and observe behaviors. Um, the best place to do it is like a library, a coffee shop, and you just watch people while you're sitting there, you know, drinking your coffee, drinking your Coke, whatever you like to drink. You sit there and you watch these people and you observe their behavior. Then you kind of create a main character out of that. When you do that, then you're like, okay, we're going to write down the character's name. We're going to create what kind of character we want that character to be. Then you go from, okay, What's this character's story? Go from there, you go into, okay, so what's going to be the biggest crux and, and issue that this character is going to face? And then you start answering those questions of when, where, how, what, why. Mm -hmm. And along the way, you'll start creating characters that fill that void until you finally get, okay, so this is what I want this story to say. This is what I want these characters to be to this main story. And at the end of the day, you can write this story out. And it's like, okay, this is the this is basically why this story exists. Okay. So you're, uh, you're writing with a purpose at that point. Yes. Yes. Um, you, you don't ever, you don't really ever want to just like be writing to be writing. 
Um, you can write different ideas and characters down, and you, you can get inspiration from anywhere. Other movies, real life situations, real people, um, any type of like character, comic book, or otherwise. You, you get inspiration from it, but then you are the one that's writing, so you decide where the story's going to go, how the story's going to end, and it's, it's kind of fun because you can string these other characters along for the ride, but in the, the reality is, is you're still in control. Okay. When... No, I'm sorry. Uh, how far along are you in the filming process for Hindsight right now? Um, hindsight, we are about 95% filmed. Um, I believe we're going to have about one more day of filming left to do. And then that will revert over to, okay, now we're going to edit it. And we're going to start piecing the different videos together to create our story. And then once that is accomplished, then we're going to go in and start nitpicking like, you know, okay, I want this transition to be this way. I want this scene to go into this scene this way. Mm -hmm. And then you can really start to um, basically re-render it to where it's, you know, that great story that you intended it to be in the first place. Okay. Uh, do you have a uh, release date set for the movie yet? Um, not yet. However, we are very seriously shooting for trying to get it done and edited and get it released by September, no later than the beginning of October. So it would be just right in time for that Halloween fall time frame. Um, a lot of horror films and thrillers, that's their peak time between September and the 1st of November. And so that's what um, we are going to shoot for, that that's w when we get it done. Okay. And I mean, that makes sense marketing-wise. You definitely want to release a horror movie around the time when everybody's filming a horror movie. Right, right. And then, you know, too, I think that's going to be a lot better as well because of where everything has been shut down with, you know, COVID-19 and mm -hmm. stuff. So your movie theaters are starting to open up this next Monday. So by the time that's going, it'll be, things will be more back to normal. So people are really going to want to go out and see movies. So I think that that's pretty an opportune time, not just for horror movies, but for the cinema in general at, in, at, at any given time. I can imagine there's actually probably going to be a boom after uh, after the lockdown is lifted and mm -hmm. people are actually allowed to go to the theater. That's probably the one thing that I've missed more than anything else is the ability to go to the theater. Uh, I mean, Kurt's I picked up at all my, my favorite restaurants. I don't really go to stores and, and shop around unless it's a bookstore. Um, so I missed the theater, though. Uh, but that actually brings up a good question. Are you planning on um, showcasing this and, like, actually displaying it in a theater? I am. Um, I am going to be reaching out to the Winsboro Theater Workshop, who controls um, Gobi's uh, Theater of downtown Winsboro. Um, I'm going to reach out to them and see about having a premiere for it there. Awesome. Um, as well as, I'm very good friends with the owners of Cinema 33 in Hartford. Okay. And they told me that if I could get it put on a Blu-ray, that they would be willing to show it one weekend down there. So it would be like a premiere down there as well. Awesome. And I have, I have other venues too as well. I, I probably could have a venue down in Madisonville because that is where I have a lot of film friends at. Mm -hmm. And too, even down at Nashville, I have a lot of country artist friends that have helped me in the past with some of my other film work. And so they, you know, have reached out and said, you know, if you need, you know, a premiere down in Nashville, we would definitely help you. Well, that's that's fantastic. Um, what about film festivals? I plan on entering it into some of the film festivals. I know that there is um, several different horror independent thriller film festivals out there. So I do plan on finding out more information and entering those contests. However, I'm going to get a lot of information on those because sometimes you do have to be careful because if you're going to enter into a contest, they don't want you to premiere it. So mm -hmm. I've got to get some very clear, concise instructions from some of the uh, film, film fair 
festivals that this goes on to make sure that I'm allowed to release it. Okay. And um, are you also going to have it available online once you get past the... Yes. Um, yes. We are going to um, a launch Nightmare Campus Pictures uh, website where um, people can purchase it and download it um, for a certain price. Um, also, at, if we do decide to go ahead and premiere at some of the locations that I've mentioned, we are going to have physical hard copies of the DVD, and you will get a copy of it with the, uh, the price of admission. And then also, you'll get to a chance to, at any of the premieres, and on the website, we were going to have the actors who were in the movie go ahead and autograph the jacket covers of the DVDs. And the, the basic, if you order a digital online one, then basically we'll send you like a copy of the poster that the uh, actors have autographed. Very nice. So how long have you been in filmmaking? I started, well, I started screenwriting back in college. So that's been about 10, 15 years ago. And then to actually say that I started filmmaking, I started working with um, PJ Woodside and Steve Hudgens from Big Biting Pig Productions down in Madisonville in 2013 on their um, vampire movie, The Caretakers. And going from there, you know, they really took me under their wing and showed me the ins and outs of filmmaking, you know, first-hand experience. I'm going to go ahead and apologize to our audience real quick. I didn't actually have the microphone turned on. Uh, we were definitely recording, and I think we should continue recording. Uh, I'm very new at the podcasting game, so... You know, mistakes are going to happen, but I, I think that your audio is still going to be there and, and your message is still going to be out. So people should look for it around uh, September or October. Yes, that's Halloween. correct. Uh, you are going to be showing it at film festivals. You are going to be premiering it. And you are building a website where people will be able to download it at for a certain cost. Yes, sir. And then... Um, I think we talked a little bit about your writing, you know, always knowing the who, what, when, and why, and the purpose of why you're writing before you get into the writing itself. Um, so that's a that's a quick recap of what we talked about so far, in case the audio goes out a little bit. But I, I'm going to power through, we'll release it as it is, and the next one will be better, and the one after that will even be even better. So um, when did you say that you started film, or you started writing uh, screenplays? I started writing screenplays somewhere around 2003, 2004. Um, I had a friend that went to college with me at the Owensboro Community College, and he was a screenwriter as well, and so we started, you know, throwing ideas off of each other, and we started, like, writing ideas down, and then it turned into scripts, and we would read each other's scripts, critique them, go back, rewrite them. And so that's when I really started learning to write scripts. Um, I think the first script that I ever read was uh, Kevin Williamson's first Scream script. And I read it and I kind of studied how he wrote it and how the final product was. And I, read how the characters was written versus what you see on the screen. And so that kind of really kind of got the ball rolling on me starting to screenwrite. And then when I met my friend in college, it was, you know, we had the same type of passion for screenwriting and storytelling. And so and that's what really sparked me starting to screenwrite like different ideas and stories and stuff like that. Okay. So, what was your initial draw to film? What, what brought you into that community? I think growing up, I did a lot of plays and church plays during my years at school. Um, I really took a fawn to acting and, you know, doing live plays and reading the scripts. And also that, you know, I grew up, I loved watching movies and 
you know, just seeing, you know, how people could be imaginative and the storytelling, you know, it just always had like left a mark on me. I'll give you an example. Um, when Steven Spielberg presented E.T. for the first time, it's like, you know, you were taken away from your everyday life into that storyline. And so it's like through that storytelling, yes, aliens are real and they're lovable and they're, you know, family oriented. And so with that storytelling ability, it's like you are providing an escape and fantasy for someone to go to just to let, let them their problems and stuff like melt away for an hour and a half. And I think that that at the end of the day is what entertainment is always supposed to be, be about. I think that sometimes people uh, try to overcrowd the entertainment with messages and it's like you have to listen to what I'm saying. But really the root of it all is that, that desire to to distract people away from their, their their normal lives, give them a fantasy adventure that they can tune into and just be a part of and experience and love. And I, that's what I love about filmmaking and storytelling in general. You know, uh, one of my big things growing up was reading a whole bunch, and it was that same principle. My my favorite types of books were the ones where it would be like kids from our world who would go to a fantastical world. Like Chronicles of Narnia, one of my favorite favorite book series. Right. So would it be fair to say that your preferred genre is horror? I would say my preferred genre is the horror slash thriller. Um, I'm not opposed to writing other styles as well, though. I um, have an idea for a comedy that is kind of like what would happen if Bad News Bears meets The Hangover, and it's about a Little League team that all these horrible things, like, happen to them in the most hilarious way. And so, I, you know, it was my first attempt, stab, no pun intended, at, uh, you know, comedy, and so I, I definitely see that I can write comedy as well. Um, and two, I have a friend that I am working on his film with him at this time, and it's an action comedy. Okay. And so working on that with him and acting in that, it really heightens my comedic chops. So I would say that my preferred genre is horror, but I'm not opposed to jumping over and doing like an action or a comedy uh, type of movie as well. I don't know that I could write a or like a rom-com or a timepiece or a romantic movie. I, I don't know. I don't want to ever say that I would never do it because I don't believe in saying I always or never do something. Mm -hmm. But I just don't see myself writing that kind of a movie. I mean, if the interest isn't there, you shouldn't force yourself. Right. right. So what is it about horror specifically that, that drew you in? I think growing up, I read a lot of Stephen King and Dean Koontz and R.L. Stein. And I think from that, I think one of the first films that I ever watched as a child was Christine. And seeing the, I think the fear element of it, like everyone loves to be scared. Mm -hmm. And everyone likes to be on the edge of their seat, like we can't wait to see what happens next. I, I like providing that for audiences and the horror genre is great at providing that for you know families and and people who love to be scared and adrenal adrenaline rushes and stuff like that um also too i do think that sometimes horror um genre kind of will express like if you have a certain fear or phobia of something you can write that a, a movie about that and get it off your chest, and two that someone else may have that same fear or phobia, and you connect people through that, and that lets them know that they're not alone. That you know there are other people that share that same phobia, and it's like that draws them together mm -hmm. even through something as like a horror film or a scary scene or something of that nature. Because people people like the thrill 
of being scared, but from the safety of their own couch or from the movie theater, where they know that Jason's not actually there. Exactly. But the the, the tension building and everything, it, uh, it excites people. Is there ever, is there a project that you've worked on where you have done what you just talked about and uh, confronted a phobia? Um, honestly, I, I think that maybe with hindsight, um, I kind of like express like what it would be like to be blind and not be able to see, especially in the storyline because it's an accident. It's not something that you're natural to because you were born with it. In hindsight, I'm not giving away too much detail, but it's because of an accident that our main character is blind. So it's like that frustration and that fear of having to adapt to a new situation and then being okay with it. And I think a lot of people have that same type of fear. Um, and especially for me, I know your audience can't see me in real life right now, but I do have a prosthetic leg. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost it during when I was battling cancer and I ha- I'm diabetic and the two kind of waged war and it was just the best decision for me. And a lot of times, you know, people in that situation get afraid and get scared because it's new uncharted territory and I have a lot of people that apparently I do inspire even working at my normal nine-to-five job that see me working with the prosthetic leg and then they ask me questions does it does it feel weird does it you know hurt do you do you ever get used to it and I think you know in the longevity of things it's like yes you do get used to it it may seem scary now, but in the end, it is worth it and that you will be okay. That That's the biggest thing. And so in hindsight, I wrote, you know, this character, his life is just thrown upside down by this escape uh, mental patient that comes after him. But at the very end of it, he realizes that there's still people in his life that care enough to help him. And that, you know, he didn't just stop and give up. He fought back and he fought to survive. And that's that's the biggest thing that when people are facing a fear is if you push through it and fight through it, you're going to come out on the other side. So for you, uh, this was kind of a, a way for you to explore um, standing strong in a situation where you maybe have a handicap. Exactly. Exactly, and two, it's also, it's also to, to kind of bring awareness that just because you have a, a handicap of this or you, because you have a handicap of that, it's like you don't stop living. Mm-hmm. Handicapped people don't stop living just because they have a handicap, that they're still full of life and that they're still, you know, inspired and they're still hopeful and... So I kind of I kind of have that as an underlying tone, even in this horror film, that you know that handicapped people are still full of life, that they're not just going to lay there and give up. I love that. I actually love, I think that that's a very valuable message, and that that seems to be. Um, is it fair to say that that would be the purpose of your film? Earlier we were talking about writing with purpose. Yes. Um, yes, I mean, and it it was kind of based off of, you know, I, you know, I've been there and I felt like kind of hopeless before, you know, dealing with the leg at first and dealing with the cancer and, you know, and it, it does make you feel hopeless, but it, at the same time, you find that that inner strength comes from within and you push through it and it's you know, you come out on the other side, and so that's what I, the message that I wrote in this movie was, you know, you, you're going to get through it. And that's, um, that's, that's an underlying message that I would like more people to, to express, you know, I feel like there's a lot of darkness, despair, oh, everything's going to end in tragedy, but 
I I feel the same way as you. There's always hope on the other side. That's what I always tell myself. Like it looks like it's gonna be insurmountable. It looks like it's gonna be so difficult that you'll never get over it. But there's always hope on the other side. Keep moving forward and you'll get there. And and two, something else is that yes, it, it may be a super long journey, but it it and I know it sounds cliche, but it always does start with that first step. And you take the first step. And then you're like, okay, well, this isn't so bad. So then you take another step, and you're like, okay, well, I, I made it through that. And then you take a third and a fourth and a fifth step. And before you know it, you turn around, you're halfway already through the journey. And then you're like, well, I can really do this. And then when you get to that other side where you're hopeful and, you know, you're strong and stuff, you can take, take a look back and just say, okay, I came through that. I went through that, and now I'm here in a much better place, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that journey. I'm thankful for that struggle because I'm so much more stronger now than I ever thought I could be. And additionally, you now know that you can take that journey again. Exactly. Know? That's, that's also one of my big things is I try to build up this, this thing inside myself where I'm constantly moving forward. I'm constantly taking the steps that you're talking about because if I get to a low point, I know that I can pull myself out of it again. So uh, tell me about your favorite part of filmmaking. Um, I'd say that the favorite part that I enjoy is the camaraderie with the cast. I think forming that bond is just, it. there's no other feeling like it because you're all working toward this goal of making this film and everybody is doing their part and then it's like you, you get to know each other and it's almost like you become a family while you're on that film. Mm -hmm. And I know in other films and other movies that the cast has felt that way. Um, I know that the most of the Avengers was very close in their filming. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, they were all a big family. And so, you know, you have all these casts that, you know, they work so much together that they've become like a family. They, you know, when they're down, the whole cast is down and they try to pull each other up. Uh, when one person is victorious on that cast, Everybody helps celebrate that person, and the whole cast ends up winning. So I think for me, that is the best and most favorite part of the filmmaking process is that bond with the cast. That actually, um, I think it's the Ferrelli brothers, the uh, the directors that that did Stuck on You, uh, Dumb and Dumber. Uh, they do a bunch of buddy comedies, essentially. But one of the things that I noticed about them, uh, back in the day, I was really into filmmaking, and I started listening to commentary, and I actually listened to the commentary on Stuck on You, and I got about 15 minutes into it, and I noticed that the entire time, they didn't talk about filmmaking, they weren't talking about the movie, they were talking about the people. Like, there would be a random person that walked by and be like, oh yeah, that person brought on our donuts and we asked them if they wanted to be in the movie and they said yes. And, um, like, it was all about building relationships. And from my personal perspective, I think that that is a solid place to come into filmmaking. Right. Uh, where you're coming in with a joint mission, you know? You have the, you, everybody has their own ideas for the project and you may be spearheading it but you're also kind of letting it be at the same time where people get to make their own decisions as far as acting and things like that right right and two you you write the character and you're directing it and you have an idea for it but when that actor is actually fleshing that character out you do have to do a little give and take because you know, you still want that character to be true to what you wrote, but you also want it to be true to that person, so it comes across as being genuine. So sometimes you do have to kind of tweak a line or a way a character acts because 
this is what this actor is able to do and this is what this actor is presenting to you and so you kind of just learn to tweak it and improvise and the product becomes more realistic because you're able to collaborate and that's where that bond as a cast and a you know as a film crew you know that bond is so sacred because you're able to communicate and it'll get to where it's like, oh, you want me to do this. I know that that's how you want me to do this, so let's try it this way. And so it's like you don't even have to really say anything because each other person is knowing, okay, well, this is how he really wants to interpret it, and th and this director wants me to really kind of change it a little bit like this, and, and it just it's that bond. Okay, so earlier you were talking about your writing process. Mm -hmm. Do you have a similar process when it comes to directing? Somewhat, yes. Um, the first thing that I like to do is I'll take a look at the list of characters. And then I will um, think of people who I know can act or that have, I have worked with before in the past. And I immediately think, okay, let me see what they would be like at this character. Let me think about this character. And so I get together a cast that I think is going to be reliable and yet able to flesh that character out. So that's the starting process is before I ever really start diving into it is like, okay, I'm gonna write all the characters' names down, I'm gonna write all the actors that I know and that would do a good job, and then I'm gonna to try to flesh those characters out as much as I can to match that actor. Once I get that done, then the next thing is I go through and think of locations. So I will reach out to people about filming at locations. I will obtain lo uh, locations that are not highly populated so that we would have a better chance of filming more in one day than having to break it up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so the next place would be the locations. And then after that, I would, say, I would reach out to the cast find out like what their filming schedules are and match it to my filming schedule. And then we would kind of like set up a filming schedule to where everybody that's gonna film on a certain day is gonna be there. You know, we're gonna make sure that they've got their outfits and costumes ready. We're gonna make sure that everything is kind of together and set up and ready to go so that when you're starting to film, you can actually film. A lot of that goes into pre-production, right? Yes. Is, yes. Is there anything you'd like to add specifically on pre-production? Like, uh, do you use an outline? Do you ever use um, storyboarding? Uh, do, you have, do you have a system of organization before you start up? Or you just kind of focus on each task as it comes up? A little bit of both. Um, on storyboarding, I sometimes will write out the character and then I will write the cause and effect and the actions. And I almost make it's almost like a tree, like almost like a word sentence tree to where you know this, 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 and this, 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 and this. And then I do like to plan out like a shot list. And I do have um, different websites that have where you can download shot lists where you can write down what shots you want to accomplish on what day. And so I try to follow those pretty pretty steady in production, but they are kind of essential whenever you're in pre-production. So, uh, and then another thing is, is to, in pre-production, that's really important, is, and as you know, you we work together on uh, certain other films, um, is to obtain permission to film. And there's actually forms for that, and so I am trying to utilize that more as I make more movies, is to have people sign that we have permission to film at this location at this certain time. And so um, that and writers, and, excuse me, actor agreements, you know, having all that done and set up in pre-production so that when you start production, there's not a question of, 
when, what, where, and how. I I can definitely understand where you're coming from on there. As you said, we have worked on projects before, and uh, we've seen projects that ended up getting abandoned because of issues like that, where you know it, we thought that we were able to film, but then it turned out we weren't able to film, or somebody would change their mind or something like that. And uh, so I'm glad that you have learned from that experience. (laughs) Well, and actually, that wasn't just the only experience that I've had with before. I know that working with Big Biting Pig some, they obtained some uh, authorizations to film in certain areas and stuff. And, I mean, they had very strict guidelines that they could and could not do. So, it, you know, working with that and then, you know, having the other experiences of not being allowed to film in certain areas or at certain times, you know, I, I chucked it up as a learning, you know, curve. And so I really think that if, you know, anyone that's listening that's in filmmaking, if you do those things in pre-production, you know, attain uh, location permission, obtain accurate agreements, get your shot lists together, plan out like a, a character tree and, you know, kind of see how all the characters intertwine and stuff after you've got the script done. I think that you will have a lot less headaches in filming, you know, when you're ready to start filming your production. All right, so you keep referring to uh, people out there who might uh, be interested in filmmaking and that, that's definitely one of the reasons I wanted to uh, to record this podcast with you is because I do think that you have a lot of information in that area. Uh, what is some general advice you would give to somebody out there who's listening right now and they haven't really done anything but they have an interest in filmmaking? How do they get started? What direction should they go in? I will say this. The first thing is, is if you are going to really screenwrite and you're really going to film me, be 100% dedicated to it. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have like a daytime job or a primary job, but whenever you're doing a film or you're writing a film, you really have to be committed to that. Otherwise, it's going to come across as you really don't care. And in the end, project's going to end up blowing up in your face. Um, I think to get started, um, I think that you should just watch some of your favorite films and and just take notes of different things that you see. Um, you know, characters that you like, character flaws that you like, bad guys, bad guy flaws, or bad guy mojo that you like. Um, take care. You know, note of like the storylines, you know, like the crux of the problem, you know, the the height of the action, you know, just take notes and really just watch. And then um, something that I did, uh, as I basically mentioned before, was whatever movie that you really like, you can go on um, pretty much the internet and look up like what the finalized script looked like. And you can just sit there and read it and just observe how they wrote it. And then when you're starting to write and, and get that down, then it's like you, you you have that kind of formula, kind of you want it to look like that script because that movie did so well. Um, you know, basically just doing that little bit of research and then just, like I said, go out and observe people. I mean, you don't have to be like, creeper stalker and, you know, watch them, you know, intently, but while you're sitting there enjoying your hamburger or your, your pizza, you just watch people and notice their behaviors. And, you know, if you get inspired by any of that, jot it down. Um, that's, that's the premise of basically every movie is you're just observing people and situations. And then you ask the question, you know, what would happen if I, flipped the script and and made it this way or I made it that way. So, I mean, you know, it's just, you know, those simple things would get you started. Um, I will tell you this. um, There's going to be a lot of people that will tell you you can't. And you've got to really, like, 
have a backbone and plant your both of your feet firmly on the ground and look at them and says and just say yes I can do this I can do that and I will prove you wrong um, I did have people that kind of laughed at me whenever I told them I was going to get into movie making and that I was going to write movies and that I was going to eventually show movies to the world and then when I started to do it well then people started taking notice and people started to be like okay wait a minute now he's really doing this so I've got to change my opinion of this and so that would be my advice is to you know observe people and, and, and watch movies and enjoy them but also take notes and just really have a steady backbone that you know that you can do this what you said there at the end I think is extremely important um, I think that there's something about the psychology of humans that we've been pushed down for so long you know and there's so many people who never actually follow their dreams never follow their passions instead they they uh, fell into a routine and um, I think part of it is from a psychological perspective when you start seeing or when somebody starts seeing oh this person is actually trying to do something I think that the that a part of it is like a fear thing like oh I better let them know like you should give up on your dreams now but I think another part of that is that people don't really want to see you succeed because if you succeed what's their excuse Exactly, exactly. And I think, too, sometimes is they don't really wish you well or want you to succeed because then that they, in their mind, it makes them feel like, okay, well, then I'm the failure because I'm not getting to do what my dream is. And I think to those people um, who's listening who are in that boat, just start doing it. Just start doing what you wanted, you know, what your dream was. Don't bring down people that are making their dreams happen. Start doing yours. Because at the same time, these people that are doing their dreams and they are working on making their dreams happen, and, and you are along the way and you decide to do that, you're going to find out that there is a lot of support from those people that are doing their dreams that are going to support you along the way. And then it's like once you have that support system, the only person holding you back is you. I think that that's super important. I think that I think that it's crazy out there in the world today, and I think that all of these people, um, we all need to be supporting each other. We all need to be building each other up, and we all need to be encouraging each other to be the best versions of ourselves possible. But you are absolutely correct. Anytime that you start pursuing your, your dream, when you're not living inside of the box that society tells you that you have to live in, then you are going to have people come up against you. So, I wanted to ask you, who are some of your favorite directors? Well, I would say my one of my favorite directors uh, would have to be um, Wes Craven, going with the horror. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he did Nightmare on Elm Street. He did Shocker. Um, he did uh, the Screams movies. Um, he did a lot for the horror genre. And I think that um, his legacy will be that no one can really quite has take, a, I guess, a stance or a vision like he did on people's nightmares, people's prank phone calls, uh, people's, you know, thoughts on the electric chair like he did in those movies that he made. Um, and two, I mean, they were just really good and fun and horror and scary, all of them wrapped up in one big bow. And I liked it. And I liked that in his movies and in his characters, they weren't perfect. They were flawed. And yet they still come out on top. And I think that in the horror genre, sometimes we tend to want the, the flawless victim 
and the you know perfect victim to survive and all other flawed characters you know to die and i think now the the basically the switch has been flipped and so the horror community has realized there is no perfect character there is no perfect person to survive in a horror film that everyday people have flaws everybody everyday people make mistakes and i think that it was important to have those be the main leads and the scream queens and the heroes because then it becomes more real and that people with everyday problems and everyday flaws can put themselves in that in that position um, another great one that I absolutely love is Steven Spielberg. Um, and that's a big spectrum there with Jaws and Indiana Jones, um, and then his production company on like Transformers. And I mean, he just, he likes to use and, and illuminate people's imaginations. And I think that that alone stands alone that a lot of people can't take that away from. Hmm. When you're watching a movie, what is it that you pull from it? What is it? What, how do you decide if it's entertaining or not? Um, uh, I think a lot of times that if it's going to be a great movie, it is going to catch your attention within the first 10 minutes. Um, a classic example was the first screen. Nobody was prepared for Drew Barrymore to get the axe at the very beginning of screen. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Scream, shame on you. Anyway, um, but, you know, that was in the first 10 minutes. And I think in a movie, if that movie's able to capture your attention in the first 10 minutes, it's going to be good. Um, I look for characters that aren't perfect, that they have everyday lives. I look for, like, storylines within storylines. So... You have, like, the hero and the heroine, you know, they're the main crux of the story, but then at the same time you have these sub-characters with these subplots, and sometimes they are just as important as the main storyline, and I think when you're telling a good story and making a great movie, those subplots all work together to make this one big statement mm-hmm. or this one big story. And so I, that's what I look for. And then, of course, uh, everybody looks for if the actors are really fleshing out the characters because there's nothing worse than a great movie destroyed by someone's subpar acting and it's like there was so much potential for that character and it was destroyed by bad acting. Uh, you were talking about Drew Barrymore getting the axe within the first 10 minutes, and it uh, reminded me of the Tim Burton film uh, Mars Attacks. I'm assuming that you've seen that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I read an interview from Tim Burton, and he said that he got um, oh, Jack Nicholson. He got Jack Nicholson for, um, for Mars Attacks. And everybody was like, oh, you can't kill off Jack Nicholson. You can't kill off Jack Nicholson. And Tim Burton was basically like, well, screw you guys. And he gave him two characters and killed them both off. And I always thought that that was great. Yeah. Um, and I like Tim Burton as well. I think he's a phenomenal uh, director. I, I love both of his Batmans, which, speaking of Jack Nicholson, was the Joker and his yes. Batman. Um, both of his Batmans were genius. Um I loved Edward Scissorhands. I thought Johnny Depp in that movie was, it was a genius move. Um, I do think that a lot of people love Nightmare Before Christmas. It's a cult classic that mm-hmm. all kids and adults love to watch. And I mean, he's, he's made a lot of really interesting and good movies over the years. So he's one that likes to capture the dark side of humor. And I, and I, and I appreciate that because a lot of of directors don't. It's either dark or it's humor. They don't kind of merge the two, and I, I think that he does pretty well. So here's a fun question for you. Okay. If you had to pick a director, like for our audience that's out there and they want to start film directing, a director to watch their films to, to see what not to do, is it, do you have a recommendation on that? For a director to 
not to do what that director did in their films. Oh, put me on the spot. Um, It's okay if you can't answer. Oh, I can answer. (laughs) I can answer. Um, I would say probably M. Night Shyamalan. Ooh, okay. Interesting choice. I... He has some really great movies, and I don't want to take that away from him, but I think that he's so focused on twists and turns that he sometimes doesn't care about the story, and he, with the twist and a turn, destroys the story. And um, I'll give you an example. I love The Village up until... The twist ending and then it's like I felt let down and I know a lot of people share that same belief that they were let down because of that twist at the ending um, and I know that a lot of people rake him over the coals for the last airbender now I never did watch the cartoon growing up the movie was it was okay I mean it wasn't great but it wasn't you know, just okay. fantastic. As, as somebody who did watch the cartoon and attempted to watch the movie, I did not get very far into it. The one thing that I can say about The Last Airbender is respect the source material. I understand what M. Night was trying to do. He was trying to represent the culture that it was supposed to represent. But Avatar, as far as I'm aware, I believe that that is an American uh, cartoon. And so all of them had American dialects and everything. And then he just kind of turned the characters into something else. And he like he took all of this source and was just like, let's smash it into the highlights. And it, Last Airbender was a bad movie. I will, I will definitely give you that. Okay. <laughs> and so, I, you know, he's... And I know that he's trying to cross the spectrum with some of his other movies. Um... Lady in the Water, I did not enjoy. I found it kind of lackluster. Lady in the Water was actually my first M. Night movie, and I actually really enjoyed it. I think Mm -hmm. had I watched other M. Night movies first, I would have hated it. But that one in particular, I was really into. And the big thing about Lady in the Water, and it's been years since I've watched it, but that the big thing for me was all of the characters had a role at the beginning that they thought that's who they were and by the end they realized that none of them actually knew who they were and they were actually they actually had to perform a different role if i remember correctly like i said it's been years that's just the one thing that i really remember right right i and i and to what you just said i grew up i watched his very first movie which was the sixth sense and that twist was amazing that movie was great and then i watched signs and i loved signs i thought it was very well done um and then the trepid you know the village and then the lady in the water and then the last airbender and so it was like there was the happening uh, and the happening (laughs) um you know those were just like uh, this is what not to do when you're making films. And um, now he did redeem himself a little bit with me with the visit. That twist, I absolutely loved and appreciated. Okay, I don't think I've actually seen that one. I don't think I've heard of it. Uh, the one that brought me back around was actually one I don't think that he directed, but he definitely produced. Uh, and I believe it's called Devil. And it's the one where it's like the yes. six people who are trying yes, to get pro- Yes, he produced that. And um, Devil was very, very better written and very much appreciated from previous uh, attempts. Um, and then right after he did Devil, he did The Visit. And then after The Visit, he did Split. And then after mm. Split, he did uh, Glass. So with those movies... They were his kind of like return to, okay, I'm going to twist it, but I'm not going to twist it too much. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he, you know, he finally got it. And so, you know, I can, I can sit down and watch his movies, but that time frame between the village through the last airbender, it was just like, yeah, I, 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 I see what you're doing, but it's just not being executed. Um, 
Well, let's return back to the village real quick. You said that you were into the village until the very end, and the twist is what threw it off for you. Um, do you have an ideal ending? Like, how how could that movie end, and you have been completely satisfied with it? Uh, well, spoiler alert: the creatures should have been real. Okay. I think that if the creatures had been real and that she did fight them off and that then the twist was it wasn't in the 1700s it was actually in real life but they lived in this you know this colony and but the creatures had plagued them since they moved out there i think that that would have made it a much more satisfying film if the creatures had been real so it's the double twist yes okay um and it makes sense it, I mean, you come in with Sixth Sense, and it is a critical, critically acclaimed film. Yes. A lot of people really love Sixth Sense. And I can understand why you would set the tone, oh, I'm the twist guy, because that is what the Sixth Sense is known for. And then I think that he did lean into it too much, and he tried to make the twist his thing. I, I do think um, Split, and I think that Mr. Glass, was that the last one? Or is this called Glass. Glass. Mm-hmm. Um... I actually enjoyed Split a lot. I did too. I didn't enjoy Glass as much, uh, but it felt like a good finale. Well, and and the thing about it is, and this is another spoiler alert, (laughs) in the end, it's not really the finale because of you find out about the organization. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I appreciate that twist because it made sense. I think the twist in the village the twist in Lady in the Water, the twist in The Happening, the lackluster storytelling in The Last Airbender, I think that it was just, he was just trying anything, and he needed to go back and sit down and rethink it. I think that The Happening, The Happening is my least favorite in night film. And I think that what he was trying to accomplish was what Alfred Hitchcock got through with The Birds. Um, The Birds was, I think, terrifying because it was so random. There was no explanation whatsoever. It's just, birds are going to kill you now. And, 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 And what I think also made that movie amazing and terrifying was they're attacking, they're attacking, they're attacking. There's no reason behind it. They're just attacking. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they just stop. Yes. And I think that was what Alfred Hitchcock was going for, was he wasn't really trying to make a statement. He was just saying, birds go crazy sometimes, just like Norman Bates did. Mm -hmm. I mean, he took and made Norman Bates scary, so I'm going to do the same thing and make it to birds. Because Norman Bates didn't have a reason for Mm -hmm. why he was killing people. No. He just was crazy and dressed up like his dead mother and murdered people. Yeah. Um, I think with the happening that you have that same format where plants are attacking for no reason, but you don't actually feel it because it's just, there's no like that, like those moments where the birds are flying at the screen and like literally, I don't remember the actress from Birds, but they're like literally pecking at her. To be different. Yes. Um, you don't have those types of scenes and it becomes a lot more melodramatic and a lot more slow and that's what I didn't like about it. And I think for me with The Happening, I think if he had left it and it wasn't the plants and it wasn't the pollen, I think if it was just a phenomenon, like a force that was happening and that it was kind of like a new take on the like Final Destination films, and it was just this force killing people, mm-hmm. I think it would have been more scarier than, oh, it's the pollen. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we have about a minute and a half left before this recording shuts off on me. What is a message that you would like to give to the world? I think that... I'm going to continue to make movies and make films that will hopefully inspire people to make and follow their dreams. Um, That is what my uh, goal in life is, is to inspire people 
and to entertain people and bring people close together. So that's your main purpose. Yes. All right, everybody, make sure that you look out for Hindsight. should be out within the next couple of months. I think that it's going to be a great thrill. Um, as James has said, it's going to be available several different places, so you'll have plenty of opportunity to see it. Make sure you get out there and do it. Um, I think that's about it, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. No, that's it. Thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you next time. Uh, remember, this is the Paper Bag Philosophy Podcast, and that we have the world's sexiest audience. <laughs>